A century after that baby was hidden in the temple comes a new king of Judah, a man who turns the nation back to the Lord with celebration. On The Bible Brief. Tell a friend about The Bible Brief today. Your recommendation can help your friends learn the Bible in a whole new way. Tap share on your podcast player and share your favorite episode. In the years after the defeat of the northern kingdom of Israel, Nineveh got an upgrade. It was no longer one of the main cities of the great Assyrian Empire. It was the city, the capital city of the empire that was expanding in amazing ways. Their tactics of taxation, followed by, if necessary, conquest and resettlement, were serving the Assyrians well. Military might, coupled with a strategy of politically weakening threats, was allowing for the blossoming of Assyria and the enrichment of Nineveh. There was a new leader of Assyria in the years following its conquest over the kingdom of Israel. And this leader was making Assyria into the grand empire that the world would come to know and remember. This man's name was Sennacherib. And Sennacherib was an effective ruler, almost certainly because of how he had cut his teeth. In the years before he was king over the empire, he was ruler over a much smaller portion while his father reigned over the empire. This was an area in the southern part of what we would call Iraq, and it was known as Babylon. That's right, Babylon. That area where long before they had tried to build a tower with its top in the heavens. That area close to where Abraham had come from over a thousand years before. That Babylon. Sennacherib was a local ruler there on behalf of his father's imperial rule over the Assyrian Empire. And Sennacherib had a difficult task governing the area. The Babylonians didn't like the Assyrian dominance over their region, and they maintained enough local resistance to their overlords that they were almost a continual thorn in the side of the Assyrians. Babylon was a constant menace, but Sennacherib was there to maintain order as best he could. All that changed in the year 705 BC, about 17 years after the Assyrians had defeated the northern kingdom of Israel, because in 705 BC, Sennacherib's father died, and the kingship passed to him. Sennacherib would now control the Assyrian Empire. He would move the capital to Nineveh, and soon, the same force that had come against the northern kingdom of Israel would come against their brother kingdom to the south. Judah would be in the sights of this new king. Many years ago, with the wicked queen Athaliah's death, the house of Amri had had its final gasp of power in the region. As the kingdom of Israel had passed to another ruler, so too did the kingdom of Judah. And in Judah it passed to a small boy, a boy hidden in the temple away from Athaliah until he reached the age of seven. And at seven, Joash became the boy king of Judah. Joash was in the house of David, spared from Athaliah's sword through the quick thinking of a priest and his wife. Jehoiada the priest saved the boy, and then became the tutor of Joash. He taught the king the law given by God through Moses, and taught him all the things that God required of a king. He ensured that Joash knew the four big rules for the kingship. He should not take many wives. He should not expand his cavalry. He should not enrich himself with gold or silver. 
and he should write a copy of the law for himself and obey it before Yahweh. Joash was a king of promise. He was the continuation of the Davidic house's reign over Judah, but he was also the promise of a new day in Judah. The old relationships with Amri's dynasty were gone, and he represented a reset. A reset to perhaps a new and glorious age in the kingdom of Judah. Joash began as a righteous king, one who cared about God and cared about the temple where God dwelt on the earth. In fact, after the destruction wrought by Queen Athaliah, the house of God was in much need of repair. And as a result, Joash spent much of his reign working to fundraise and repair the house of the Lord to its former glory in the days of Solomon. But after the work was complete and the temple was well provided for, Joash's mentor died. Jehoiada the priest, the man who had protected him as an infant and advised him as a father figure for his whole life, he died. And with his death came changes in the kingdom. The latter part of Joash's reign was not good at all. He ends up abandoning the house of the Lord in favor of worshiping the Asherim and other idols. He takes all the good that he had done and flushes it down the toilet. He even loots the temple himself to buy the goodwill of a threatening enemy. As perhaps a crowning evil action, however, he kills the son of his mentor. Jehoiada's son says this to Joash, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But the king and his men conspired against him, and by the command of the king they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada had shown him, but killed his son. Joash is an illustration of what can happen when the apparently faithful actions of a person can be nothing less than their attempt to please or pacify someone who they view as superior. During his mentor Jehoiada's life, Joash ruled well and honored Yahweh. But as soon as Jehoiada died, this apparently good king appeared to show his true colors. Not the white of purity, but the red of bloodshed, killing his mentor's God-honoring son. This should lead us to perhaps an uncomfortable question for ourselves. Do I believe because I believe? Or am I believing to please someone else? Do I actually have faith or am I depending upon the faith of another? Is my relationship with God depending on anyone else but God? Joash, for all his actions, ended up a rather wicked king by the end of his reign. His faith wasn't his own. Instead, it was his mentor's good advice that yielded Joash's good works. Though he was saved by a priest, carried the Davidic promises, and became the hope of a new age in Judah, ultimately he only continued a downward trajectory started many years before by King Solomon. However, it would be about a hundred years later when a true renaissance in Judah would finally materialize. Soon, Joash's great-great-grandson Hezekiah ascends to the throne of Judah, and Hezekiah is described like this. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it as if it were an idol. 
He trusted in Yahweh, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory, from watchtower to fortified city. If you hear echoes of David's reign and his descendant Hezekiah's, you would be right. He breaks down idols, follows the law, and the Lord was with him. He even defeats the perennial enemy of the Israelites, the Philistines, just as David had done. Hezekiah, then, is this bright spot among the kings after the United Kingdom had broken into Israel and Judah. Hezekiah represents the kind of king that David was before him, a good and righteous king. Such a revival occurs in Judah at this time that even the Passover is celebrated for the first time in many, many years. Hezekiah even invites the remaining Israelites from the northern kingdom that had just been defeated by the Assyrians. In spite of, or perhaps because of, the devastation of the Assyrians on the north, Hezekiah saw an opportunity to reunite the tribes as much as possible. He wanted to bring the people of Israel together for true worship of their true God, to celebrate their freedom from slavery long ago. And while many from the north mocked Hezekiah's efforts for this Passover, more than a few humbled themselves and returned to Jerusalem for this great feast. They slaughtered the Passover lambs, just as Moses and the Israelites had done on that final plague night, and they celebrated God's amazing deliverance over the prescribed meal in the law of Moses. The festival was the most joyous occasion that had been seen in Israel in centuries. We read, The whole assembly of Judah, and the priests and the Levites, and the whole assembly that came out of Israel, and the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel, and the sojourners who lived in Judah— rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then all the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came to God's holy habitation in heaven. Hezekiah led well, and God blessed his reign. Next we read that, he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God, and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart, and prospered. In the face of Israel crumbling in the north, and prior kings turning away from God in Judah, Hezekiah stands as an incredible return to David's form. And yet one of Hezekiah's biggest tests would come in the years after this great renaissance began. The temple was shining. Sacrifices were being made to God. The people had destroyed their idols and the small nation rejoiced. But then, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, would cross paths with this righteous king, Hezekiah. The ruler of the Assyrian Empire would meet this small nation of Judah. But where they defeated the northern nation of Israel easily, they would find Judah much more difficult. And the difference wasn't so much the people as it was the God of the people. Israel had forsaken Yahweh, but Judah, led by King Hezekiah, honored the Lord. Sennacherib would meet his match, but only after he'd marched through the land, invaded the cities, 
and come right to the very gates of Jerusalem. He would lay siege to the cities, stop up the springs, attempt to starve the people. He'd use every tactic in the Assyrian playbook to take the city. His problem was this. He had every strategy for defeating the false gods of every other land, but he had none for defeating the one true God of all things. Yahweh is the only and undefeatable God. Join us next time as the Assyrian army lays siege to Jerusalem before Yahweh defeats the enemy in a single night. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023